0: Welcome to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio, sponsored by EarthX, the world's largest environmental experience, and also sponsored by Natural Awakenings Magazine. Live your healthiest life on a healthier planet. Now here's your host, Bernice Butler. Welcome to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio today. We're in our second season, and we're very excited to continue to help you explore and understand the unbreakable relationship between your health and the health of the planet. We look at the hottest topics related to our environment and its sustainability, and how they affect your health and wellness. Here, issues like climate change, plastic pollution, extreme weather events, and more will meet up with everyday impacts like allergies and asthma, digestive issues, gut health, cancers, lung and heart issues, and more. So listen in today as we interview experts for today's show on extreme weather events and droughts and how they affect your health and wellness. Drought is to blame for the largest mass migration in U.S. history. By 1940, the Dust Bowl had forced 2.5 million people out of the Plains states, with 200,000 of them heading to California. And today, scientists, as well as political observers, believe drought contributed to the Syrian civil war as widespread crop failure from 2007 to 2011 drove many farming families in Syria to urban centers and that this event is still today fueling existing social and political unrest. Droughts affect just about every human within the affected region, and they have the potential to spread nationwide or worldwide, depending on the economic damage and its extent. If the drought covers an extended period of time, or if it's especially harsh, conflicts arise between individuals over water rights, and land value is also impacted. Droughts have the potential to alter the quality of life through the loss of land, loss of livelihood, and, of course, health consequences. We're told that there are generally four types of drought. That is hydrological, socioeconomical, meteorological, and agricultural. And there is some debate as to whether or not the socioeconomic and the hydrological types are independent, or if they're just two faces of the same coin. Now, that's a lot. And so here today, to help us unpack some of this, is Dr. Renee Ferguson, Ph.D., and she is from Oklahoma University, or OU. I'd love saying that because I'm a hook 'em horns. <laughs> Dr. Renee McPherson is associate professor of geography and environmental sustainability at the University of Oklahoma and University Director of the South Central Climate Adaptation Science Center, which was formerly called the South Central Climate Science Center. She's also an adjunct associate professor of meteorology at OU. She holds a PhD in meteorology. And her research includes the societal and ecological impacts of climate variability and change, regional and applied climatology, mesoscale meteorology, severe local storms, land vegetation interactions, as well as surface observing systems. She was also state climatologist for Oklahoma and acting director of the Oklahoma Climatological Society. That's a lot. (laughs) And we welcome you, and we are so glad that an expert such as yourself could join us. So welcome, Renee. Well, thank you so much, Bernice. Renee, let's start out by defining drought for us. Give us both the technical as well as the layman's term of drought, and then tell our listeners how droughts are actually manifested in their everyday lives. For example, how do they know they're living in a drought situation, other than, of course, the weatherman telling them?
1: Right, so thank you very much, and hello to your listeners, and as we say at the University of Oklahoma, back to our Texas uh, UT counterparts, Boomer Sooner. All right. Um, (laughs) And so, as you mentioned, there are a number of different technical definitions of drought. A meteorological drought focuses on what we call a departure from normal precipitation. So it just has to do with how much precipitation fell, and we have a lot less than we normally have at this time. That's meteorological drought.
0: So I have to think, then, a drought here in Texas would be different than a drought in the Negev Desert or Phoenix or something like that, right?
1: Right, as well as drought in Louisiana, for example, Okay, so places okay. that... Uh, So if there's a drought in Louisiana, for example, a meteorological drought, that might be the normal precipitation that you get in Austin, Texas. Um, And it would not be called drought, obviously, there. So that's why, in a sense, meteorological drought isn't necessarily um, a helpful definition for many people. So this agricultural drought that you mentioned, uh, Mm -hmm. that is when the drought – Uh, gets deep enough that now it's affecting the soil moisture or groundwater that's used for irrigation for crops. And that drought has a direct effect then on people who are living there, in particular the growers of the area. Uh, The hydrologic drought usually lasts uh, longer. And so this is a drought that uh, we start seeing evidence in our lakes and our rivers of reduced stream flow or lower water levels. Uh, It takes longer to get to that level of drought, and so a hydrologic drought tends to be um, pretty deep. Um, And the most prolonged drought is a new name um, that hasn't really been talked about a lot, and that's called ecological drought. And this is a drought where it Starting to really affect the natural vegetation, and that natural vegetation usually is, um, you know, it's it's set up to to survive these types of cycles in in that local region. And so, if if the natural vegetation is being affected, that's got to be a pretty deep and widespread drought
0: if I have it correctly, what you're saying, that type of drought is, say, you have a particular plant, petunias, I don't know, for lack of a better example, that traditionally grow in this area or that area. And because of an ecological drought, that plant does no longer grow in that area.
1: Well, it's not that it no longer grows, but you see the stress in it. So, okay. um, so for example, um, uh, in, in the Austin area, there's a lot of um, mountain cedars, so the juniper uh, plants that you see, a big kind of Christmas tree-like things. And um, you'll start seeing them get browner in this type of drought uh, because they're stressed. Oh. Um, and so that can be very dangerous and can lead to substantial wildfires because of the stress on those trees.
0: Can you talk to us a little bit about who is most prone or most affected by drought? Over the year, every month, of course, we talk about a different environmental issue and its health impacts here at Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio. And, of course, it's the usual suspect population groups that tend to be vulnerable to most of these. So talk to us about who are the most prone to drought situations and why.
1: Right. So um, marginalized populations that, um, you know, water is a huge issue, obviously, in in drought. So there are uh, populations in rural areas, for example, uh, who uh, don't have access to uh, water through, you know, the city pipes and the city systems people who are from um, tribes that rely on uh, fish or other aquatic species um, uh, to sustain them for food. Uh, The drought, when we get to hydrologic drought, that those systems get stressed, and so do those uh, food sources for them. Um, And also, usually with drought, we get into problems of... um, air air pollution because of either the fires or um, uh, dust that's blown. So, of course, this is going to affect people with um, asthma and uh, other respiratory diseases.
0: It exacerbates any respiratory disease. Really quickly before we go to break, too, are you aware of any other type of disease that drought might exacerbate as well?
1: So drought's usually associated, especially in the summertime, with extremes and heat. So anybody with a car, uh, cardiovascular um, disease that provides more stress on the body, especially if they're um, people who have to work outside for their profession.
0: Yeah, so probably any chronic disease, it's not going to be good for it for sure. Correct. Thank you. We've been with Dr. Renee McPherson from Oklahoma University, and we're going to be right back with her after the break. Thank you. We want to give a shout out now to our sponsors. That is EarthX, the world's largest environmental experience, promoting environmental awareness through expo, conferences, film festival, interactive experiences, and now EarthX Streaming TV. Our other sponsor is North Haven Gardens Nursery, serving the DFW Metroplex since 1951, the most respected horticultural establishment in North Texas, offering gardening and plant education, concert services, DIY classes, gifts, and more, and we're told they have the best Christmas trees in Texas. Check them out at nhg.com. Our other sponsor is Lynn Dental Care, practicing dentistry for over 38 years with a holistic approach looking at the whole body specializing in periodontics dr lynn is board certified by the international academy of oral medicine and toxicology check them out at LynnDentalCare.com and our other sponsors natural awakenings dallas fort worth metroplex magazine the green healthy and sustainable living authority for the dfw metroplex and north texas communities print issues of natural awakenings can be found in all whole foods markets natural grocers central markets sunflower shops and many many other locations as well as available free for download online at nadallas.com check them out and thank you so much sponsors welcome back to healthy living healthy planet radio to today's show on extreme weather events, droughts, and how they affect your health and wellness. And we are back with Dr. Renee McPherson from the University of Oklahoma. We're glad that you could be with us today. Thank you, Bernice. Renee, what regions of our country, other than, of course, Texas and Oklahoma, which I presume are some of the worst regions, but what other regions of our country and our world are most prone to droughts? and have experienced the most severe droughts recently?
1: Great question. So any any place on our planet is, um, uh, is prone to drought. Uh, there are, as you noted, some regions that we see it more often. Uh, the U.S. West uh, c- currently is in uh, a possible, what we call, a mega drought, a very extended uh, drought period of time. Uh, We've seen substantial droughts um, in the uh, Sahel area of Africa, so this is uh, south of the Sahara Desert, um, and uh, affecting a, a number of countries across that region. Um, and we've seen uh, significant droughts in areas of uh, China and areas of Australia, uh, with huge Australian fires that you may have seen on the news um, in the past few years. And a lot of the things that draw these areas together is that they're in what we call semi-arid arid regions of the world. So they're between kind of the... the humid parts uh, where we have lots of tree cover um, and the desert regions, So they tend to be places where uh, people live um, and where uh, when you lose precipitation, you feel it, as opposed to like in the eastern part of the United States, they can go through a drought and they're used to so much water that it's just less water there. Um, So it might still stress Some systems, but a lot of people don't actually notice it as much.
0: You told us about the commonality that most of these drought-prone areas around the world tend to have. What is it about that climatologically that causes droughts, and what is the impact of climate change on droughts? Great question. There are a number of things that tend to cause
1: drought. Uh, in uh, many areas of the world, uh, the El Nino uh, Southern Oscillation, so El Nino La Nina cycle, uh, has uh, either wetting, more rain, or drying, uh, uh, more drought impacts. Do those cycles alternate? So they usually cycle through every three to seven years, um, and not on a regular pattern, but somewhere in in that type of cycle. So for example, uh, we're looking at drought conditions this winter and into the spring in uh, the south-central part of the United States and in the uh, western U.S. because we're in a La Nina uh, cycle currently. And there will be other areas of the world that, um, when they experience La Niña, they also become um, more likely to get
0: into drought. So, droughts have some degree of predictability when they're coming.
1: So, so yes, they do. Um, not long term, you know, not years in advance, but uh, but yes, the centers that monitor drought. Uh, when they saw that we were moving into a La Nina event, have already indicated to our water resource management communities and our agricultural communities uh, that it's going to be a La Nina and we can expect uh, less precipitation in this part of the country. Also, in in like uh, Oklahoma and Texas and other kind of warm areas like, uh, like we are, uh, we can get into these conditions called flash drought, where it's dry as you go into the summertime, and then very quickly, because of those hot temperatures reducing that foam moisture suddenly, we can get into very severe drought very quickly.
0: This is so interesting. Drought, of course, does impact our physical planet, it impacts our environment, both immediately and over time. So what does this look like in terms of the long-term impacts of drought, and how do they differ from the short-term? And where in there is the wildfires?
1: (laughs) Yes. You know, as we have a changing climate, we are expecting to see that drought will become more common. especially in this part of, of the world, and, uh, and we'll get more intense. And part of that intensity is because as temperatures increase, we get more evaporation of water out of the soils, and so um, that increases the ability for our uh, droughts to, to establish themselves uh, much more intensely. Uh, we have already seen, for example, about two degrees of, of warming in Texas um, over the past hundred years. We expect to see another half a degree um, uh, Fahrenheit of warming each decade as we go forward with climate change. And so that's going to be associated with uh, more impacts of, of, of drought. The other thing about climate change is it's making some of our rainfall patterns less predictable. So, uh, for example, in areas like Arizona and New Mexico where they really count on the summer monsoon to bring them those rains during the summertime, they've been finding that the timing of the monsoon is getting less predictable. And in some cases, like this past uh, summer, Uh, The monsoon didn't last long enough to give them enough rain to move into the winter. So they've already had uh, stress with drought now, and they're moving into the winter, which is a bit drier of a season. And so they're looking at significant water rationing in places like Albuquerque um, already as a result of that.
0: Yeah, that was my next question is what are the manifestations of it? So they're looking at water rationing in some places like over the holidays, over the winter because of a drought. And I don't think most of us don't normally associate the winter, no matter how your winter is, even winter in Florida, which is never winter, we don't associate winter with lack of water.
1: Right, right, and uh, that's kind of the the insidious nature of drought is it's it's a creeping um, hazard. It's not like a tornado where you know it's pretty obvious when there's a tornado coming. Um, So when drought, when you're entering into drought, it tends to be slow. People don't recognize it. They drive by the same farm pond, you know, day after day, and it just goes down a little bit and a little bit more, and they don't recognize those things. But drought is actually the second um, most um, economically damaging disaster, uh, natural hazard disaster in, in the U.S. So hurricanes are first, drought, the average in any given year in the U.S. is somewhere around 8 to $9 billion of damage, much of that being agricultural damage um, caused
0: by drought. Is that even counting the fires, the wildfires?
1: Um, yeah, so <laughs> that does somewhat count yeah. the wildfires, which is why these costs are going up. So it used to be that drought averaged about $6 billion, um, a year, and now those uh, costs are going up because of those wildfires.
0: You are making us all much smarter and hitting right at the heart of what Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio is about and our purpose, and that is to show people why they must care. And that discussion that you just finished is really telling us why you must care about droughts. And the interesting thing that you mentioned, too, was many times we don't even know we're in it unless the weatherman tells us.
1: Correct. So um, did you know that 40 percent of the United States right now is in drought? No, I had no idea. <laughs> 67 million people in the United States are affected by drought today. So this is an example of why it tends to be pretty insidious when you get to the um Stage where you're rationing water in cities, where uh, you have crop failures, usually you're in severe to extreme drought conditions.
0: Tell us about and We just got a couple of minutes for this segment before we just go to break. I want to drill down on that where those 60 million of us don't know that we're in drought. What kind of things would they see or what kind of perhaps subtle ways would their everyday lives be affected because of that?
1: Right, so I mentioned the kind of lower water levels in lakes or in farm ponds. This uh, low
0: water pressure as you're trying to cook or clean or do whatever.
1: Um, you could, yeah, you could see that, but a lot of that's mitigated by your city water system, and so again, you're you're separated somewhat from your environment around you. Where you live, near Austin, uh, you've got springs nearby. You'll see fewer springs of water in those natural areas. You'll see less stream flow. Um, if you live in the mountains, less snowpack uh, on those mountains can be a sign of drought. Um, if, you're, if you take walks in the forest, stressed trees, you know, brown leaves when it's normally not brown, um, so it makes it harder to see drought in the wintertime uh, because of that. Uh, strangely enough, you might actually see it at the grocery store by an increase in the price of beef, uh, chicken, eggs, and dairy products.
0: And that's interesting because we probably see the price increases but have no idea why. We're going to go to break, Renee, and we'll be right back on the other side. We have been with Dr. Renee McPherson from the University of Oklahoma, and she's really telling us some very interesting things about drought and how it really is affecting our everyday lives that we had no idea of. We'll be right back on the other side. Healthy Planet Radio. This is your host, Bernice Butler, and we are back with Dr. Renee McPherson from the University of Oklahoma. She is a meteorologist, and she is the past Oklahoma state climatologist, and she is really enlightening us and letting us know why we must care about drought, why to care about drought is really not an option. It affects our health and wellness, but just our everyday well-being and our everyday living. So thank you so much, Renee. We're so glad you could make time to be with us.
1: Welcome. I'm glad to be here.
0: (laughs) So we were talking earlier about how a great percentage of the country is in drought and does not really know it, and you really enlightened us by letting us know some of those ways that we can tell. I want to move a little bit more now into the connection between drought and wildfire, which you've talked about, and I think everybody accepts that. But I want to talk about it a little bit more because it has just such deep and widespread significance for our environment and the people. We know that they're connected because the drought basically dries out the vegetation and that dried out vegetation becomes kindling or fuel for the wildfires. At the same time, you mentioned earlier, that droughts are becoming more widespread. So the first thing that comes to my mind there is we know what's going on in California. So two things. Are there other places in the world that are seeing similar events in terms of wildfire as we're seeing here in the U.S. in California? And is any other part of our country at risk to be another California?
1: Right. So this is a scary thing to think about because um, you know so many people live kind of on this either on the edge of these um, uh, kind of beautiful areas of our uh, of our world in in these uh, huge forests and uh, our you know we have nas- national parks and all of that in there that people care very deeply about. Uh, we are seeing uh, some substantial increases in fire activity. For example, in Australia, uh, you may re- have remembered the um, uh, pictures of people trying to uh, uh, save koalas in some of the eucalyptus forests in that region. So eucalyptus is a, a, a very oily uh, uh, a plant, and so it burns very readily, very similar to kind of the um the junipers the the mountain cedar the eastern red cedar that we have across uh, the southern uh south central part of our um our region so yes, we are definitely seeing some of these um Uh, drought affected areas uh, result in in much larger scale and much hotter wildfires than what we've seen um, in the past.
0: I imagine there's some other parts of the country as well. I lived in Florida for a long time and coming along Interstate 10 in North Florida, you're going through a number of national forests. I have to think that they too could be subject Two wildfires if the drought conditions endured in that area.
1: Yeah, I, uh, any forest, any uh, grassland area, if if the plant is stressed enough, uh, then that makes them very susceptible to to fire. Okay. Unless you know, there are some environments like in. Um, in the Mediterranean. So that's, uh, that's an area of the world where some of these plants are adapted to fire. So they're used to fire coming through. They find ways in a sense to protect themselves and the fire moves on and then they happily
0: continue growing. That um, is amazingly interesting. What kind of plant can do that and how do they do that?
1: Plants like olive trees actually can oh. do that. Um I think it's the less uh, oil that it has in the in the plant that helps mm-hmm. um helps protect them. So yeah, it's uh they are fire adapted systems.
0: That may hold some instruction for California. Maybe they need to stop growing grapes and grow olive trees. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Something has to be done there. So, Renee, though, can you tell us about perhaps any other environmental events that we may not have talked about or we may not think about, but any other environmental events that may be caused by droughts?
1: Yeah. So um, I have some colleagues at Texas Tech University, uh, Dr. John Zach and his team, who have done some research on um, the bacteria and fungi that are in um, that are in soils, so these they call soil microbes is kind right. of the the main term for those mm-hmm. and under drought conditions, these microbes start dying, but these microbes are needed for nutrient cycling and um, and to help with decomposition and soils to make a healthy soil. So if you lose some microbes in the soil, that soil um, is, is not as, uh, as readily usable for cotton growing, for example, in West Texas. Um, and I
0: have to think it's going to affect the nutritional value of our foods.
1: Exactly, because that nutrient the cycle then as is, well. is, is reduced. So in short droughts, it's not too much of a problem because not so many of the microbes die, the rain comes, they regenerate, and they go on. But in a long drought where you have significant death of these microbes, um, then for the spores that they leave to uh, uh, begin growing after a rainfall event, those spores need to access the carbon in the soil. And so then they start removing carbon from the soil and that carbon if it remained in the soil is used to help store the water and and allow that soil to remain moist. So you start removing carbon drought after drought and you start um, reducing the health of that soil affecting entire uh, fields of agriculture and so as we see drought frequency change and become more frequent, the soil doesn't have enough time to regenerate. And this is when desertification starts occurring in landscapes.
0: Amazing. Do you know of any statistics or or information that's out there regarding, say, any particular crops or any particular foods that may have been affected, uh, say, nutritional value or that we can't get? Or eat anymore because of droughts,
1: that's a great question. um I don't know about uh nutritional value uh there are some um, there's some types of crops that are stressed significantly in regions, and we aren't sure how long we'll be able to grow those crops and what crops uh, are those? what are those so so actually, cotton um, is an example. So oh the, the Cotton Growers Association are very concerned about um, changes and drought conditions um, Seems like we all need
0: to be concerned about that, because what does that commercial say? Cotton is the fabric of our lives. Yes, exactly. And that kind of brings me to our last question, because we have about a minute more before we have to go. And that's the economics of it, really. Our last show talked a lot about the connection between climate change and economics. And so we know that it's significant there So talk a little bit about drought Impacts and our economy. And you just mentioned one that is that the price of beef can go up and the quality of beef. Right. And at the ultimate, it's the existence of beef. And I imagine any other meat that depends upon grass feeding. But talk to us just for a little about the economic impacts of of drought.
1: Anything that needs water basically is going to be affected by drought, including. including humans, and so one of the things that I encourage um, your listeners to look at is that there's a great webpage called drought.gov, um, and this is uh, a, a webpage that shows all of the different types of resources um, to get educated by dr- uh, about drought, to start planning in your community for, for drought and how to monitor it.
0: What would be the top two actions you would recommend that ordinary people in their everyday lives can really take to help drive solutions?
1: So think about your water use at your house, especially if you live in a city. Those perfect green lawns are not something that is sustainable. We can't think about perfectly green lawns. In Oklahoma, what we saw is in the middle of the drought, uh, Oklahoma City was piping in water from rural areas into the city so that people could water their lawns. And that left those rural communities without the water that they needed to use for their own local needs, including their tourism businesses, their recreation. So what you do and the choices that you make at your house are affecting a whole lot of people that you have never met before all around your region. I'd also suggest um, buying local foods. That's gonna also reduce the um, amount of water that you would use.
0: Exactly, thank you so much, Renee. We are so glad that you have just made us all much smarter. We are now going to move on to the second part of our show, but we do want to thank, again, Dr. Renee McPherson for giving us some very fascinating information and helping to enlighten us all and showing us why it's not an option that we need to care about droughts. It's necessary. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Bernice.
0: This is your host, Bernice Butler, and welcome back to part two of today's episode of Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio on extreme weather events, talking about droughts and how they affect your health and wellness. Droughts impact health through many, many pathways. Water is life, and we all know that. People need water to drink, to grow food, and be clean. But drought affects health in many other ways, too. Drought can also cause long-term public health problems, including the amount and quality of drinking water, air quality effects, sanitation and nutrition, and, of course, diseases. Now, during drought, there's an increased risk for wildfires and dust storms. Particulate matter suspended in the air from these events can irritate the bronchial passages and the lungs. And there are many, many more health issues, impacts, and conditions that can be caused or exacerbated by drought, either directly and, perhaps more importantly, indirectly. Examples of drought impacts on society include anxiety or depression about economic losses, conflicts when there's not enough water, reduced incomes, fewer recreational activities, higher incidences of heat stroke, and even loss of life. And that's a lot. And here today to help us unpack some of this is Dr. Jay Lun, PhD. Dr. Lun is a professor of civil and environmental engineering and a member of the U.S. National Academy of Engineering. He's on the editorial board of several water resources publications and he's been a member of the advisory committee for the 1998 and 2005 California Water Plan updates and he served as a convener of the California Water and Environment Modeling Forum. His principal research interest is in the application of systems analysis, economic and management methods to infrastructure and public works programs. He has led development and application of a large scale optimization modeling, for California's water supply, where climate warming, water marketing, conjunctive use, integrative water resources, management problems, and others have been examined using his model. He is also co-author of several books and reports, and we want to welcome Dr. Jay Lundy to help us out with this today. Now, did I get everything right,
2: Jay? Uh, You can tell I'm an old professor. You can tell I'm an old professor from that long room.
0: <laughs> we love it. That's what we want. You've got the expertise. So, again, we thank you so much for being with us today. Pleasure to be here. Jay, let's start out by you telling our listeners how do drought and public health intersect, and what is the major health impact of drought, and exactly how and why does this major impact happen?
2: Well, I, I guess I should really start on a positive note that droughts today are, are in the modern era anyway, in contemporary times are much less severe for human health than they used to be. Back in 300 years ago or so, if you had a drought, they would directly affect your only local food supplies, and you'd have famine and pestilence pretty quickly with the drought. Today, with the modern food systems and modern transportation systems, uh, we have still major drought impacts, but they're much less life-threatening than they used to be uh, a few hundred years ago. Some of the impacts, however, still remain pretty important. Um, Often the most direct impacts that you see are are people's wells going dry, again, directly affecting particularly rural water systems and rural households that have shallower wells. Um, Greater concentrations of contaminants, there's less water around in the environment to dilute out any contaminants, so the water quality issues become more severe. Um, In aquatic environments, if you go to, uh, for recreation in a river or in a, a lake, um, you're more likely to come across uh, more concentrations of these contaminants, plus plus also some harmful algae blooms, um, where you know, which can endanger both people uh, as well as pets that go uh, play in the algae that are in the sort of stagnant waters now of of uh, lakes and rivers. But
0: Jay, tell us too how drought affect the public water system. I imagine it can be different from place to place depending on where that public or that area gets their water, but I have to think that drought does affect that.
2: Well, that's very true. Uh, every water system is a little bit unique, but if you have a drought, that means you're getting less water than you normally expect. And most large water systems are fairly well prepared, even for small droughts, because that's just the normal kind of operating condition you have to prepare for. Uh However, when you get to bigger droughts, uh, many systems are not as well prepared as, as they would like to be uh, in retrospect. And, and for them, they'll have to uh, do some water conservation activities. You'll see some first early in the drought, you'll see the, the water utility call for voluntary water conservation, use less water going to fall, let their lawns go a little bit dry, things like that. And then as the drought gets more severe, there'll be mandatory bans on lawn water and, Uh, car washing, things like that.
0: I know they have to conserve to have enough water for all of us, but during that period of drought, especially if there's a very long drought, how is the water perhaps quality or what are the potential effects on our health, both direct and indirectly?
2: Well, for most urban water systems, they will typically have a little bit worse water quality in the raw water supply coming into the water treatment plant. And so one of the issues sometimes is that they'll have to reduce the flow that goes through the plant so that the water that is coming through gets enough treatment. So they really don't want to release water into the distribution system that is a poor water quality that would threaten people's health. So they might reduce the amount of water that comes through the system so that it can have the right kind of residence time, the right kind of filtration, the right kind of disinfection to make it safe. Are
0: there any perhaps instances or possibilities that some unhealthy things could come through to our water because of the drought and perhaps some things got into that water because of the drought that may not have been anticipated or that weren't accounted for during the regular filtration or sanitation process?
2: Yeah, there, there's some, some aspects of harmful algal blooms that can introduce some toxics that they have to be pay more attention to when they treat it.
0: There are health risks associated with, I guess, the effects of water or the water that we use and how we use it as a result of droughts, as well as the other things that droughts produce. It appears, and it was mentioned by our earlier guest, that droughts create a lot of dust and particulate matter. And so that seems to drive its own health issues. Can you talk to us a little bit about that?
2: Uh, yeah. Certainly in California during our last big drought in 2012 to 2016, we had a lot more instances of, of, of dust, particularly in, in formerly irrigated areas that, that are now dry because we had very dry summers here. And so there's a lot of concern for dust. Um, I, for most people, it was kind of an inconvenience, and, and, but I think there were some health impacts What really occurred, though, after the drought was the wildfires and uh, the air quality impacts from the wildfires that were mostly in forested areas uh, because of a lot more dead trees uh, during the drought and a lot warmer temperatures during the drought. Uh, Those wildfires, we still are getting them even this year, four years after the end of the phenomenal drought itself, Uh, and that's probably caused... I saw one statistic saying probably a 1,000 extra deaths because of the air quality impacts from the wildfires that were worsened by having the higher temperatures uh, and and the drought that killed so many trees and, and made so much fuel available.
0: Exactly. And that's just the air quality. I have to think there are also health impacts associated with the economic losses caused by the fire and the mental health. I've made a note of, and I saw in my research, valley fever.
2: Oh, yes. <laughs> Tell us how valley fever is associated with droughts. So Valley fever in the San Joaquin Valley is a, a dust-borne, essentially a, a fungus in, in, the, in the soils there that, that can cause death, actually, uh, illness and death in people. And there was a great concern during our latest big drought that there would be a a grand outbreak of valley fever because we'd have quite a bit more dust. However, the fungus really spreads when it's moist. And so after the drought ended, people went back and looked at the records and said, oh, you know, during this drought, we saw less valley fever than normal. We might have had more dust, but because the soil was less moist, the, uh, the fungus wasn't sending out as many spores.
0: Fascinating. Last thing, Jay, and that is, how can ordinary people in their everyday lives take steps to help drive solutions to prevent drought and protect themselves?
2: Well, first of all, try to use less water. That'll keep more water available for the future. Uh, Second of all, if you're a a rural water system uh, or you have a rural well, check and think about how much how how, high is your, how deep is your well relative to your water level? And uh, if that water level were to go down during a drought, would you be able to get through? And then think about what would you do to reduce your water use during the drought to make your well last longer? And what your neighbors are likely to do, if you've, if you've got neighbors that are going to increase their pumping during drought, you might have, have some trouble with your well. So sort of think through your contingencies, and that way, if a drought occurs, you'll be a little better prepared.
0: Well, thank you so much, Jay. You've really helped us understand this a lot more. We really appreciate you taking the time to be with us. We've been with this part two of our show on extreme weather events and droughts. We've been with Dr. Jay Lunn. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you very much. And thank you, listeners, for listening in today to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio. The conversation starts here, but our goal is for it to continue in your homes, in your social circles, your workplaces, at the water cooler, and in the grocery checkout line so that we can all work together to realize that healthy living is simply not possible without a healthy planet. Our culture is the result of a trillion tiny acts taken by billions of people every day, like yourself. And each of those small acts can seem insignificant, but all of them add up one way or the other to the change that we each live through. This is Bernice Butler, Thank you again, and join us next week for more on extreme weather events, how they affect your health and wellness.